Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Ship show. Earlier today, the House of Representatives passed the tax cut bill. Now, of course, the media keeps referring to it uh, fallaciously as tax reform. That's fake news for you. Calling these tax cuts reform is a perfect example of fake news. But of course, Donald Trump is not going to complain about this fake news. See, when the fake news works in his favor when he prefers fake news to real news, then he's going to be quiet about it. It's only when he doesn't like uh, the fake news that he calls the media out. But this has nothing to do with reform. There are definitely tax cuts in this bill. And in fact, there are substantial tax cuts. The tax cuts are a lot deeper than what people are saying because the real reduction in the top rate is not from 39.6 to 37 it's from 39.6 to 29.6. It's a much bigger reduction because of the ability of so many people who are now paying the 39.6 to use the loopholes to reduce their tax to the 29.6. Now, of course, the top rates are actually higher than that because no one talks about the 3.8% Medicare and Obamacare taxes that are not repealed, right? The, The mandate, the penalty for not buying insurance is repealed, But the taxes to fund Medicare and Obamacare, they're still there. So the marginal rates are higher than what everybody is talking about. But the reductions are actually much bigger for the top end. And, you know, normally I'm all in favor of lowering the top end. I would just like to do it in a fair and honest way, not through gimmicks and loopholes. But, yeah, I want to lower the top rate of tax but I also want to make government smaller. I want to reduce government spending so that we no longer need all that tax revenue. But of course, I've said that over and over again, this bill will provide some people with tax relief, but no people with government relief. Government is getting bigger. Government is getting more expensive. So how are we going to pay for it? If we're not going to pay for it with taxes, right? well, then we're going to pay for it some other way, but pay for it we will. And again, the impact on the deficit 
is going to be much bigger because the incentives in this bill are so powerful for changes to be made. And I went over a lot of those changes on my last podcast. So if you didn't listen to it, uh, go ahead. But there's a few points I want to elaborate uh, from that podcast. You know, one again is talking about the the pass-throughs. And again, a lot of rhetoric on how we have to level the playing field between the pass-throughs and the corporations. There's not a playing field there that needs to be leveled. See, the whole reason that individuals who operate pass-throughs pay taxes at the individual rate was to level the playing field between the individual rate and the corporate rate because the corporate rate was always much higher. Look, anybody can incorporate. If you think the corporate rate is such a great deal, then incorporate, right? And again, a lot of people will. A lot of investors will incorporate. But if you are running a business and you need the money as your income from that business, if you incorporate, and there are a lot of reasons that people want to incorporate, one of them being limited liability, right? You start a business, and what if you get sued because something goes wrong? You don't want to have to lose your house, right? Lose your retirement savings because, you know, something went wrong with your business. So you want to create an entity that has limited liability. So there are those benefits. But under the corporate structure, the way we do it in America, there was double taxation. You pay a corporate income tax, and then you pay another income tax when you pull the money out as a shareholder and collect a dividend. And so in order to level the playing field between people who work for wages and people who incorporate and work for their own corporation, they're really self-employed, that's why we have the pass-through rate. Because let's say you were an architect. And by the way, architects are singled out in this bill, along with engineers, where the sky's the limit on how much money they can make. And they're never going to pay more than the 29% tax bracket, right? No matter how much money they make, uh, that's their top tax bracket if you're an architect or you're a, uh, an engineer. But let's say you're an architect and you work for an architecture firm and you, know, you pay the ordinary income tax on the money you earn as an architect. But let's say you want to go off on your own, right? Hang up your own single shingle and be an architect and, and, and start your own business and just be a self-employed architect contract out your architectural uh, services, right? You set up a corporation to have the benefit of limited liability and things like that. Well, without the, t- the pass-through structure, you'd be in the C-Corp and you would be stuck with double taxation. You would be paying a much higher rate of taxation than people who work for wages as an architect. So when they set up the pass-through rules, it leveled the playing field. It meant that you could start your own business get the benefits of limited liability of that corporate structure, but not be punished with double taxation. You can pay the tax at the individual rate, the same rate that you would pay if you were working for somebody else as an employee. So that playing field was already leveled. So what the government just did is they tilted it now in the favor of the guy who is self-employed. So now you have built in an incentive for workers to quit and become self-employed. And that is what's going to happen, especially, and I pointed this out on my last podcast, when you take away the ability of workers to deduct their out-of-pocket business expenses. They're no longer deductible, but they're 100% deductible for self-employed people working through their own LLCs or or S-Corps. And by the way, anybody who operates uh, an S-Corporation or an LLC can convert to a C-Corporation whenever they want. 
So it's not like they're being screwed here. I mean, if they think corporations have a better deal, they can become a corporation, right? They keep saying, oh, we don't, we want to level the playing field. We don't want uh, to punish people that operate as pass-throughs as opposed to corporations. They can become a corporation whenever they want to. The reason they don't choose to is because it's not advantageous. Now, lowering the corporate rate all the way down to 21%, most people still wouldn't incorporate because the double level of taxation is still higher than, than it would be if you operate an LLC. But I mentioned this. No one's talking about this. other than I've, I've never heard anyone talk about it but me. But the other thing about these corporations, the top corporate income tax is now 21%. That is lower than the capital gains rate of 24%, basically. 20% plus the 4% for you know Obamacare. So corporations now have a lower tax than the capital gains rate. Corporations, of course, don't have a capital gains, right? They just pay income. So capital gains is the same as any other income. There's no differentiation when it comes to your corporate tax returns. But what that means is that if a corporation buys a stock and sells it at a profit, it pays a tax of 21%. If an individual in his own name buys a stock and sells it at a profit, he's paying 24%. So what does that mean? Not only does it mean that people who have a lot of interest income would want to set up corporations, but if you do a lot of stock trading, if you have a big portfolio, if you do it within a corporation, you will have lower taxes on your realized capital gains. Another benefit is that this new tax law means that if you have a managed account, if you have money with a hedge fund, you can no longer deduct the fees that that fund charges you. The 2 and 20, the management fees, they're no longer deductible against your income if you're an individual. But if a corporation invests in a hedge fund or has a managed account, the corporation could deduct all of their investment uh, management expenses. So you have this built-in incentive now for people to move their assets into a corporation. Now, of course, this is only if you have a lot of assets and you don't think you're actually going to need the money. But what you can do, of course, is you can borrow against those profits. You can borrow from your corporation. So you never actually have to distribute uh, the gains. You can borrow against them, which is a non-taxable event. You can pay interest to the corporation, which you own. And then when you die, right, your heirs inherit the corporation and the basis is it stepped up. And so now all the there's no additional capital gain. So the, I can see there's going to be so much work. This is really, you know, they talk about this is the Jobs Act. This is the Job Act for tax attorneys and accountants because they're going to come up with beautiful structures to shelter income taxes, which again, I love people sheltering their money from taxes. I hate it when we have to send our money to the government. The problem is the government is spending the money whether they collect the taxes or not. So it's my belief as an economist that debt does more damage to the economy than taxation. That paying for big government by printing money and borrowing money does more economic damage and ultimately exacts a greater cost on the economy than paying for government with taxes. But this plan, again, is going to be a disaster because the recession that's coming is going to be blamed on these tax cuts. This is going to be perfect. A campaign issue for 2018, for 2020. The Republicans are going to own this recession. They're going to own this bear market that is going to start. Look how much the stock market has risen in anticipation of all the great things that are going to happen as a result of these tax cuts. So buy the rumor, sell the fact, especially if the fact is a disappointment. Look, the stock market is, you know, in record territory. 
I mean, it was down a little bit today, but you know, the NASDAQ was above 8,000 for the first time yesterday on all this tax cut hype, you know. And if you look at some of these other records that we're setting, and Trump even points these out. Unfortunately, he has taken this bait. The Dow has made 70 new highs this year, new all-time record highs. That's never happened in a single year. Another thing that's never happened in a single year is the Dow is up more than 5,000 points, assuming it doesn't tank, you know, in the next couple of weeks, which it probably won't. So we're up more than 5,000 points in one year. That's never happened. Also, assuming that we don't have a big decline in the last, you know, week of December, the Dow would have been up every month of the year, every single month. That, believe it or not, has never happened. I didn't realize that until I read it somewhere, that we've never had that happen until now. We're up every single month, 12 months in a row, the entire year. Now, does that sound like it's something that, you know, it means that it's going to continue? Like this is like the beginning of a new bull market? Or does it sound like that is like, you know, the climactic end to an old <laughs> bull market? Not only that, but I was watching on CNBC yesterday and they, they had a graphic up there about uh, investor optimism. And it's the highest it's ever been. Right? I mean, the last time it was this high, but not quite this high, was right before the 08 financial crisis. So this is obviously not a good sign that you have so much optimism. And they pointed out, you know, on CNBC, something that I've been talking about, that a lot of the optimism is Republicans being optimistic about having a pro-business president, right? And having corporate tax cuts. This is exactly what happened when George Bush became president after eight years of Clinton. I've talked about that. The stock market did great under Clinton, right? A big government tax hiking Democrat. And it tanked under Bush, a business friendly tax cutting Republican, right? The market went down during Bush's first term. It went down during his second term. It was down for the entire eight years he was president. Why? Because he inherited a bubble. Well, Trump has inherited a bigger bubble. (laughs) So there's more air that's going to come out. It's more of a value. And you know, yes, Trump is cutting taxes on corporations. What do they think Bush did? Remember how we have, you know, a 24% tax on dividends? That was because of Bush. Bush was the first president to ever lower the dividend tax to match the capital gains tax. See, before Bush came, corporate dividends were taxed at the same rate as ordinary income. That is one of the reasons that, you know, People always wanted capital gains because you had a favorable treatment. But we never had favorable tax treatment until Bush. And Bush effectively cut in half the the tax on corporate dividends, which was a huge benefit to the corporations who pay those dividends, right? Your stock is more valuable if you can pay out dividends that are taxed at a lower rate. So we not only did we have tax cuts for individuals under Bush, we had big tax cuts for corporations and we had repatriation. That was part of the Bush tax cuts. And also, you know another thing that's similar? The Bush tax cuts were temporary. Why? Because they couldn't add to the budget more than a specific number of years. So we got the same thing again. We got temporary tax cuts again. It's the same kind of tax reform, you know, or, or not real reform, but cuts, right? It is pro-business in that we cut taxes on corporations, cut the marginal rate. But it's not going to be any more beneficial to the economy now than it was then. In fact, the economy is in worse shape. We have a bigger bubble. The Fed has already slashed rates down to nothing and left them there for how many years? They've moved them back up again, but they're what? One and a quarter to one and a half percent. The Fed has got an enormous balance sheet that hasn't shrunk at all, despite the fact that they keep talking about it. I mean, last week, the balance sheet shot up by about 15 billion, 
right? It hasn't gone down at all since they've been talking about shrinking it, right? It's actually, you know, been staying the same, but pretty soon it's going to go the opposite way. You know, another reason too, I didn't point this out in the last podcast, but another reason why people may be quitting to become independent contractors is because large corporations are still required to provide health insurance that nobody needs, right? The punishment is no longer there on individuals, but companies still get punished if they don't provide health insurance. And and so nobody needs it now, right? I mean, just wait till you get sick and buy it. So a lot of people, not only will they lower their taxes by quitting their jobs, but they'll get out from under having to buy health insurance. They could just wait till they get sick because there's no, no punishment at all uh, for people who, who decide not to, not to buy insurance. Well, meanwhile, even though the stock market continues to celebrate the, uh, the tax cuts, there is no celebration in the foreign exchange pits. I mean, the dollar is continuing to trend down. Dollar index down again today. We're down below 93.50. Uh, I think it's a long way down. In fact, I, I read this week for the first time, I didn't even realize this until I looked at it, what has happened to the yield on U.S. Treasuries, which, by the way, uh, Treasury bond prices have been falling over the last couple of days, uh, up uh, rather sharply today, the yield on both the 10-year and the 30-year. This is one of the weakest days I've seen, finally, in the bond market. I mean, people were getting to wonder here, you know, why is the bond market not falling? Well, today it fell, and it looks to me like a breakdown, so we could see a bigger backup in yields. And of course, that is a, a drag on the economy, right? People having to pay higher interest on their debt is going to be a drag that's going to offset the pull of lower taxes. In fact, I think most Americans who work for wages, right, who don't quit and, and start getting uh, self-employment income, but if you work for wages and you get a small tax cut, $500, $1,000, believe me, you're going to spend more than that if you have an adjustable rate mortgage. Your mortgage rate is going to go up probably by more than that over the course of the year. Your gas bill is going to go up. Your food bill is going to go up. Your insurance costs are going to go up if you if you still have health insurance, but your property and casualty insurance is going to go up. So people are actually going to have to spend more money on the necessities of life. So the whole tax cut is going to disappear to inflation. That is part of the problem. But the dollar is moving down, uh, not up. If people really thought there was going to be more economic growth, you'd be seeing a stronger dollar. But one of the problems that I, I just started to talk about it until I you know, veered off on this tangent. But one of the problems for the dollar and the treasury bond market is going to be what's going on with the comparative yields. Because the story for a while was, oh, we got negative interest rates in Europe, right? So you have a lot of demand for treasuries coming out of Europe. Because even though rates in America are low, they're a lot higher than they are in Europe. Well, that has flipped around. You know, about a year ago or so, you could get 250 basis points. If you were in Europe and you took your euros and bought U.S. treasuries and then hedged those treasuries in case the dollar went down, right, or the dollar went up and the euro went down. Because if you're buying treasuries and you're a European, right, and you're just trying to get an extra couple hundred basis points, you can't take currency risk. So you have to be able to hedge that risk out in order to, to do this. But a year ago or so, you, you could be a European, you could be in Germany, you could take your euros, you could buy U.S. treasuries, you can hedge the currency risk that the dollar would fall, and you can end up with a 2.5% yield, right? Which was better than the yields that you can get on German government bonds. So, hey, I can buy U.S. government bonds, hedge out the currency risk, and I can make more money than buying German government bonds. They're all risk-free, right? Because none of these governments are going to default. So that was a no-brainer trade, right? If you're going to do it, right? 
Well, what is going on today? I read that the yield now, if you're in Germany and you want to buy U.S. Treasuries and you want to hedge the currency, the yield is negative 60 basis points. That is the lowest the yield has ever been in the history of the euro. So the yields have never been lower on U.S. Treasuries than they are today if you're a European. Well, what does that mean about the demand for U.S. Treasuries coming out of Europe? It's going to tank. What's going to happen to the demand for U.S. dollars to buy U.S. Treasuries? It's going to tank. So this is just starting. And of course, demand for U.S. Treasuries is tanking just as we're about to sell even more of them. Because not only is the Federal Reserve saying, hey, we're going to shrink our balance sheet, which means we're not going to buy as many treasuries, so you have to find other buyers, which don't exist, but we're now going to cause even bigger deficits by cutting revenue out of the government while the spending keeps going up. So you've got this happening. This is going to weigh heavily on the dollar, and it's all going to be very positive for the price of gold, which is creeping up again. I mean, gold prices uh, are on the rise. Nothing uh, you know, spectacular. We did have a day... I think, you know, yesterday was it that we were up, uh, or it was a Friday, but we're back above 1260. I mean, I'm looking at where 1261.60 is the last price. So we're creeping higher. Silver is back above 16. So we're just starting to get started. But also, you know, I'm looking at these commodity stocks, um, really a lot of bids coming in, some nice move ups and base metal type stocks. So this is just the beginning. You know, the inflation trade is really starting uh, to take hold. And I think 2018 is going to be the breakout year for these commodity plays, commodity currencies, commodity markets. Inflation is going to pick up. And what is that going to mean about the yield on U.S. Treasuries? They're going to go much lower. If you think the yield now is negative 60 basis points, it's going to get negative 200 basis points, 300 basis points. Even if the Fed raises interest rates three times next year, even if they raise them four times or five times, it's not going to matter because they are going to be so far behind the curve. Even after they raise rates, rates will be lower in real terms. And so the bottom is going to drop out of this market. And this is going to be a big political problem for the Republicans, not only in 2018, for the midterms, when I think they are going to lose control of Congress, but in 2020, because I think they're going to lose control of the White House, and then all these tax cuts are temporary, because none of them are going to survive uh, in 2021, right? And we're going to end up with much higher taxes on the corporations and the so-called rich than we have now. You know, while I'm on politics, let me go back to Al Franken. Can you believe it now? you got a bunch of Democrats who are saying that Al should reconsider his resignation and not resign. Now, I mean, I don't know if this was planned from the beginning, but, you know, now that the Republicans already knocked off Roy Moore, right, because that was part of their positioning themselves to take the moral high ground to put a lot of pressure on Moore. And of course, they've been putting more pressure on Trump too. I've seen more of these uh, allegations. In fact, I was reading one uh, last week and some woman, and they actually, again, this is news. Why this is news, I have no idea. But some woman who is married to a hockey player, or maybe he was a hockey player back then. I doubt he's not playing hockey anymore, but I think he was playing hockey back then. And she was in Madison Square Garden. This is like 30 years ago. And she was in the elevator with Donald Trump and Donald Trump hit on her, which, you know, there's nothing wrong. I mean, she's an attractive woman, right? Nothing wrong with hitting on a woman. I mean, that's what guys do. I'm assuming that at that time, Trump was single. I mean, he's been married three times, but that means he's been divorced, right? So he's had plenty of time when he was single. So he sees an attractive woman in the elevator and he says something to her, right? He didn't touch her. He wasn't employing her. He didn't even know her. He just ran into her in the elevator. 
And apparently he used some pretty bad lines, right? According to the way she remembers it, he was like, oh, you're coming home with me. Uh, And she said something like, well, I'm married. And he said, well, I'm richer than your husband or something like that. But anyway, his pickup line backfired. It didn't work. That was it. He never saw the woman again. Now all of a sudden it's news and it's being reported as if it was sexual harassment because she said this was unwanted. I didn't want him to hit on me. All right. I bet she looked pretty nice. I bet she was dressed up. I bet she had high heels on. I bet she had makeup on. I bet she looked great, right? I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that, hey, if you dress up and you get raped, then you deserve it. But if you dress really nice and you look really pretty and a guy hits on you, what do you expect? You just say, no, thank you. I'm not interested. That's it. Because, you know, maybe she would have liked him. I mean, maybe Trump has used that lousy line on other women and it's worked. Maybe he's got women to come home with him talking about how much money he has. You never know. Some women, that's going to appeal to. But, you know, it's not harassment to use a bad line. I mean, how many guys have used bad pickup lines on women? I mean, it's not harassment. But now all of a sudden, you know, it is, right? Oh, Donald Trump, you know, it was unwanted. Yes, you never know if your pickup line is wanted or unwanted until you get the reaction from the woman. But I'm even seeing more of these people having to resign. Now, oh, I, he repeatedly asked somebody out on a date. Yes, how did the, how, when you ask somebody out on a date, you don't know that if you don't ask him out a second or a third or a fourth time that they might agree, that they might change their mind. I mean, I'm a salesman, right? You know, I sell uh, investments or anybody that sells. Does everybody take no you know, sometimes they tell us, you know, when you're teaching sales, the no is just an invitation to a yes. It's just, a, you know, you know, so when people are trying to sell themselves on a woman and they're asking a woman out on a date, sometimes, you know, you need to, you know, go for the close three or four times before you actually get a sale, before the woman actually agrees uh, to go out with you. And as I said before, a lot of time women want to see, they want to see how persistent we're going to be, right? How hard they want to make you work for it. They want to make you really want it. They want to be more desirable because they're the forbidden fruit. They're hard to get and therefore they're more valuable, right? This is, this is common interaction, but somehow Trump, you know, oh, this is harassment. He, he was hitting on a woman in an elevator. This, you know, if the sexual harassment is supposed to be about, you know, you're, you're using your power as your employer to, to basically coerce somebody into doing things sexually. It's almost like blackmail or extortion. I mean, just being attracted to a woman that you have no uh, connection with whatsoever. You just meet her in an elevator or wherever you meet her in a bar or a supermarket or just walking down the street. I mean, I remember, you know, when I was when I was young, if I used to see a woman that I was attracted to when I was in New York, I would just start talking to her. So I would, just, you know, follow her and strike up a conversation. I mean, I, I, all the time. And sometimes the women were not interested, but sometimes I got dates. I got phone numbers. I mean, that was what that, that's what you had to do. There was no online dating. Right. I mean, I, 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 I couldn't go on the Internet and just look through a bunch of, you know, uh, pictures of women. I mean, I had to work for it. I had to go out, you know, you see somebody that you like, you got you had to pounce. You had to get on, you know, chase her down because you never know if you got to see her again. And, you know, you got to come up with something to say. You got to come up with some clever conversation, maybe tell a joke, see if she laughs and maybe she gives you a phone number. Right. But if she doesn't, she doesn't. None of this is harassment. But now all of a sudden uh, this is happening. But I got off on this tangent again, talking about the politics of this, because now Franken, oh, they're saying, oh, Franken, don't resign. Why? Because, well, the election is over. We pulled out a few more women who are making these allegations against Trump, but nothing's really happening. So maybe we can dial it down a notch. But I bet some of these Democrats are running scared now 
Because if they're going to take the position, right, that it's one strike, you're out, that the accuser is always believed, I don't know if the Democrats will ever be able to feel the candidate. Because all you have to do is just make a false accusation against any Democrat. Some woman can come up and say, oh, yeah, he grabbed my ass one day, you know, and that's it. He's got to resign. You know, I mean, does it, you don't have to have any connection with him. He's, yeah, I was in an elevator, you know, and uh, he was talking on his cell phone. He didn't even know, you know, and he just grabbed my ass and just, that was it. And he gave me a wink and I never saw him again. But, you know, I felt horrible. I felt like a piece of meat. He really demeaned me. I mean, what is he going to do? How is he going to say, no, I wasn't in an elevator with this woman 20 years ago? I mean, there's no, there's no evidence. It's not like, you know, you can disprove it. It's not like you have to have any kind of real connection. Just say, yeah, I was in a room with him and he grabbed my butt. You know, and now a couple other women come out and say, oh, yeah, he did the same thing to me. I was in line at the Baskin Robbins getting some ice cream and he came up behind me and he grabbed my butt. I mean, two or three women say this. What's he going to do? He's going to drop out? So I think that the, the, the Democrats realize, wait a minute, we can't put ourselves in this position. So we better say, hey, wait a minute, Al, maybe you shouldn't step down. Maybe you shouldn't resign. Of course, he didn't actually resign. He said he was going to resign, but he hasn't done it. So he, he, do, he doesn't even have to unresign. He just has to not follow through with the resignation that he talked about. So we'll see what happened. But it seems that they're getting cold feet here in, in this approach. But they already able to use it because it's possible that the Franken resignation and the contrast that they drew and the press that they got, that could have been what put uh, the, that Senate election over the edge. That could be why they were able to defeat uh, Roy Moore. But again, they wouldn't have been able to defeat him if you wouldn't have these other problems. Because I still think there's a wave here, right? We're shifting from right to left as the electorate is becoming disillusioned and disappointed over the fact that America's not great yet, right? That it's the swamp isn't being drained, that the, the water level is going up, right? And so people who voted for something different are being disappointed. And they're going to be a lot more disappointed pointed, uh, in 2018, you know, in November, and even more disappointed in 2020, when they're you know deciding whether or not they want to reelect uh, Trump and have four more years of what's been happening, because he won't be able to promise change four years from now. He can't promise to drain a swamp where the water level has gone up during the first four years. You can't drain your own swamp, right? And so he's not going to be the change candidate. He's not going to be appealing to uh, the same constituency as he was before. He's opened up the window where the Democrats can come in and say, we're the change party, right? We went back to the failed policies of Bush. We had tax cuts for the rich, tax cuts for the corporation. And look at this, right? Trump said we were going to always win. And now we're just losing, losing, losing. We're right back in the ditch that Obama pulled us out of, right? That is, that is how the 2020 election is going to shape up. And the Republicans have pretty much uh, handed that uh, to, to the Democrats. Thank you.